Thank you, Steve. You are the best. <clears throat> Good morning, church family. It had been a long, weary day for my great-grandmother, Lil. The only thing that prevented her from a nap was the kitchen floor. It was a mess. So already exhausted, she cleaned it. As she rinsed the rag in the sink, she heard her husband's truck in the driveway. In a few minutes, my happy great-grandpa John would walk through the door. It had rained all day. Grandpa John's boots were caked with mud, and he didn't take them off. As he walked across his wife's clean floor, he left a trail of filthy footprints. He went upstairs, showered, and watched a little television. At dinner time, he came down to eat, but he ate alone that night. His food was on the table, but Lil was missing. He was confused, still he ate without her. Bedtime came, but the two went to bed in separate bedrooms without even speaking. The next morning, it happened again. Grandpa John's breakfast was on the table. Grandma Lil was in another room. According to my mother, the sole reason for their silence and separation was that Lil never forgave John for walking across her clean floor with his muddy work boots. Although she wiped the mud from the floor that night, the wound that little action opened was never cleansed from her heart. My mother asked me, so how long do you think that they never talked? How long was it, a few weeks? My mother answered with a heavy heart, 25 years. Unforgiveness had stained their hearts and silenced their marriage. For 25 years, they never enjoyed the warmth of each other's smile, the comfort of each other's embrace or the other's kiss. They never started the day or went to bed at night hearing the most beautiful words can, one can hear, I love you. Because of unforgiveness, their life together became painful, sad, and lonely. They lived as prisoners in their own home, but their real prison was inside their own hearts. My great-grandpa John died before they reconnected. Tragically, Grandma Lil developed a lifelong pattern of unforgiveness, including with her daughter, my, my grandmother, and numerous others. She filled that little prison in her heart with those around her, one by one. But I think she was really the one not free. That was a story written by the author of our small group curriculum, Bruce Wilkinson. And honestly, it's a bit of a sad way to start a brand new sermon series, isn't it? It is. But the good news is that Jesus frees us from all of that, from the prison. I, the dungeon of the unforgiven spirit, the prison of resentment. And I'm so glad that you're here to take that journey at Community Grace this fall. Today we begin our series, Freedom in Forgiveness, 70 times 7. If you didn't get a bulletin, I just believe those help you stay in contact with the church. Raise your hand and Chris will put one in your hand. Take out the sermon notes to follow along. And as he does, I want to tell you something that's ama that amazed me just this last week. The sermon, uh, the series is starting now. It hasn't even, it hadn't even started yet, but last Wednesday, the children and youth ministries actually started it a little bit. Um, and <laughs> I heard the next day that one dad in our church, uh, Jared, <clears throat> not to name any names, this is a great story. He said I could say his name, uh, was driving home from youth group and children's ministry last Wednesday night, and the kids in the back seat were forgiving each other. He said, what is going on? This is not normal. So I love it. And then uh, 
I heard that one of the small groups did actually start the series uh, last Sunday, a week ahead of schedule, and I don't know the details, but I heard that there was a breakthrough with one of the members in the small group, and I just, I just rejoiced. We, I've never seen anything like this. We haven't even started a series yet, and God is on the move here. Praise God. Amen? Amen. So forgiveness is relevant to 100% of us. 100% of us, whether it's a spouse or a parent or a sibling or a boss or a customer or a bully or a friend or a former friend, someone we hardly know. We all are offended and hurt in many ways and sometimes very deeply. The tragedy, though, is the bondage that people find themselves in when they fail to forgive. That tragedy is the issue that Jesus addressed on the day that he gave the parable of the unforgiven servant to his disciples. And we are going to study this parable today, what question prompted him to tell it, and then the answer, the shocking answer that Jesus gave. If you have your sermon notes, you see the first point there is the question, why forgive? Why forgive? In Matthew 18, if you look just ahead of our text today, that starts in verse 21, you see that Jesus is giving instructions on how to resolve conflict. It's a text that we use all the time here, still today, handling conflict, which prompted his disciple Peter to ask the question that we have today. Pick up in verse 21. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And Jesus begins the story, the parable. Now, Peter thought that he was being generous seven times. He was trying to impress Jesus because Here's what you need to know. The teaching of the day of the scribes and the Pharisees was that you need to forgive people that offend you or hurt you two times. And then on the third, you can whack them. That was their teaching. So here's Peter. I'm going to triple that and add one, and Jesus is going to be impressed. But Jesus wasn't impressed. He said, no, Peter, to follow me is something totally different. And so he tells the story. I'll teach you how, he says. So Jesus loved to teach deep spiritual truths through story. A parable is a fictional story that's rooted in real life that teaches an important truth. Now, to fully understand Jesus' parable, which I want us all to fully grasp this entire parable today, we need to know all about the setting of it. So here are three facts you need to know about the setting of this parable. Jesus, number one, Jesus was talking about forgiveness, not salvation. Right? Write that down. Remember this. The king in the story does not picture God taking away our salvation once saved. Our eternal possession of salvation does not change, although our enjoyment of it changes. Can change. Two, the punishment is here and now, not in the future. This parable is about our lives here on earth. What happens here in this life if we hold on to resentment and bitterness? This parable is about our suffering when we fail to forgive. And third, the question being answered is, what kind of forgiveness is required of a true Christian? Brothers and sisters have been forgiven 
by Jesus, what kind of forgiveness is required of us? Why should I forgive without limit? That is the question Jesus is answering. So when Peter asked, how many times should I forgive? He showed that he didn't even understand why to forgive. And so that's our question, why forgive? So Jesus said, not seven, but 70 times seven. Now Jesus wasn't just giving a higher number to count to. You mathematicians, what is 70 times seven? 490, how many people have already done that math in your heads? 400, was Jesus just giving a higher number to count to? No, not at all. If that was his intention, he, what would we be doing? We'd be counting. We'd be keeping track. Buddy, you're at 372. You better watch out. No, that is not the heart that Jesus is after. That's totally missing the point. That is not healthy even or Christ-like at all. Jesus' point is to forgive without limit. It was a rhetorical device giving the high number without limit, and he explains why with this parable. And we see that in point two, Jesus' severe answer about unforgiveness. And the answer is shocking when you first study it. But it then starts to make sense, all the sense in the world. It is consistent with Scripture's teaching about God's holiness, his justice against sin, his discipline that he, with somebody he loves, his loving discipline, and his amazing grace, and his limitless forgiveness toward us. Let's examine this important parable. Picking up in verse 23 again, he begins, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. This was devastating. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. A few things. It was very common, and everybody knew it at that time, for a king to audit his treasury. Imagine the king's surprise when he discovers that one of his stewards owes him 10,000 talents. Now, just so we all know why Jesus used that figure, every, all of his listeners would have immediately understood, like, whoa, that's a ridiculous amount of money. One talent is worth 20 years of labor times 10,000. That's 200. Honey, I got to get up and go to work for the next 200,000 years. So instantly, his audience knows that's, a, you know, that's an unpayable debt. It's an impossible debt to pay. But the king forgave his servant because he had compassion on him and his family. Look at verse 27, the word pity. He had compassion on him. That's why he forgave him. And then notice the word released. Releasing is a huge part of forgiveness. The next thing to notice in verse 27 is that the king forgave the entire debt. The entire debt. This is a picture of God the Father's forgiveness of us. While we were still sinners, enemies of God, with an unpayable debt against him. The first servant here represents all of us when we were unbelievers. That's all of us at, at one time. But when we trusted Jesus for our salvation, he forgave the entire debt. 
We owe a debt before we trust Jesus that we could work an entire lifetime and not even pay a fraction of the debt that we owe the almighty holy God. It makes us picture hell. It's an eternity that will, to pay the debt that will never be paid for rejecting and stealing the glory that belongs to God alone. But realizing his guilt, the servant falls down before the king and humbly asks his mercy, and the king gives it. Our only hope of salvation is humble faith in Christ alone, that he's all-powerful, and he gives it to that humble heart who repents and asks for it. Friends, until we grasp that we have been forgiven an unpayable debt, and we have been forgiven in full, we'll never be able to grasp Jesus' point in this parable, that we now must forgive completely and limitlessly. Jesus simply calls us to live out here on earth what he has already done for you and for me. Back to the story as it unfolds. In verse 28, here's what happens. That guy's got to be feeling pretty good about what he just received. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's just 100 days' wages as compared to 200,000 years of wages. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Does this plea look familiar? It's the exact same thing that the first servant said to the king in verse 26. The exact same thing. Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was hard-hearted over this much, much, much smaller debt. So look what he does. Verse 30. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And so that first servant seized him and grabbed him and choked him and threw him into prison and refused to forgive. And we think, we hear this parable and I think we all think the same thing. Man, that's not even, that's inconceivable. It's, he was just forgiven 10,000 talents. And then he walks out, and this guy, 100 denarii, just owes him such a smaller debt, and he won't even forgive him? We think that's not even, it's unthinkable. Until we realize that's what we do all the time. We threw him in prison. A key word in our series, and the prison that we have thrown people into is the prison of our own hearts. I want to ask you right now, who do you have in the prison of your heart? Think about that as we go on. Well, when his fellow servants saw this, they were heartbroken and they had to tell the king about it. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And so our question, why should I have limitless forgiveness toward others? Jesus first answers because of how God forgave us. This is the entire Bible that teaches this, the entire New Testament, Ephesians 4.32 is a verse many of us have memorized. It says, be kind to one another. These are commands, tenderhearted. Let's read the last part of that verse with me out loud. Forgiving one another 
as God in Christ forgave you. This is enormous to Jesus, because think of everything that he endured, suffering and the shame and the mocking and the pain of being crucified on the cross for your debt that you owed. Let that sink in. But there is a second answer to the parable as well. In fact, it's the main point of the parable. We haven't even arrived at the main point yet that Jesus has to make. It's what God does when we don't forgive. And it is the connection between unforgiveness and our suffering. Why should we forgive without limit? Because if I don't, I bring torment on myself. Verse 34. And in anger, his master delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. As we let that sink in, let it surprise you. Let it sink in and reach you. What is Jesus' motivation for us to forgive that he gives us here? Jesus our Lord teaches that God will turn us over to the torturers to suffering if we do not forgive others from our hearts. That's his main point of the parable. Brothers and sisters, I think we all know deep down in our soul that we need to forgive everyone of everything, but have you not been willing to? Let's examine this more deeply, starting with the word torturers. Other translations in English use words tormentors. The ESV actually uses jailers, which I think is interesting. That picks up on the prison theme of our heart's prison. But I don't believe that jailers goes far enough in what this word actually means. The Greek word is basanitsis, and it means to cause another person distress, to cause another person distress or suffering. And a further definition is one who elicits truth by the use of the rack. That's the stretching torture device. These are torturers. And so this word is used throughout the New Testament in a variety of places. Here's just a couple of examples. It's used for physical and mental suffering. One example of that is Matthew 8, 5, and 6. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. That's a word that's, that's used for physical suffering, mental suffering. Now, I want to say something, and I'm going to repeat this a few times to make sure nobody misses it, that not all suffering, physical and mental suffering, is caused by unforgiveness. But many people do suffer physically and mentally because of, as an effect of, unforgiveness. The Bible also uses this word for emotional suffering. In 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8, Peter says, Lot, distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked that's in Sodom and Gomorrah as he was there every day. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So Lot, every day, was tormented emotionally. The point is this, that physical, mental, emotional pain that you've been carrying for so long could be because of unforgiveness. Now, to be clear, not all pain is a result of unforgiveness, but Jesus is clear that often it is. So th here are things that we must learn from Jesus this morning. Three things we must learn from Jesus. 
The first is that there are always consequences, always consequences to unforgiveness. If we think that unforgiveness, whether it's a small offense or years of pain from someone, if we think that we can just push that down and ignore it and bury it and it'll be fine, there won't be any consequences, Jesus says we are terribly mistaken. When we fail to forgive, as he forgave, God delivers you to the torturers. Now, listen to this. He doesn't torture you, but he takes away his, his protection of peace from within us. Second thing that we must learn from Jesus this morning is that this is an issue of discipline, not punishment. Jesus took our punishment for eternity on the cross. But listen, God wants our good more than he wants our comfort. We in America especially think that our comfort would be the greatest good. We don't get that testimony from Scripture at all, not at all. God wants our good more than he wants our comfort. And so he disciplines us lovingly. Look at Hebrews 12, 6 and 7, which states it so clearly. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Also notice in the parable that the person didn't suffer until they decided not to forgive. That's when it started. And he only suffered as long as he chose not to forgive. God loves us so much that he won't let us get away with the sin of unforgiveness. Don't despise the discipline of the Lord. Hear him through it. And third, God has provided the path of escape from suffering. So the choice to be disciplined is ours to make. I'm going to tell you another story of great transformation. Realization of this. But a woman named Dawn, this is a true story. Dawn's husband hurt her deeply. When she discovered that her husband had an affair with his female coworker, she was beyond devastated. Although she seriously considered it, she made the decision not to divorce her husband. However, deep within her heart, she made another decision. She decided to never forgive him. She reasoned by not forgiving him, she would make his life miserable, and she did. She made his life so unbearable, he contemplated leaving the home. But there was something else that happened that Dawn didn't foresee, how much she would suffer by choosing not to forgive her husband. Slowly, Dawn began to experience more turmoil and pain in her life than went way beyond the initial wound caused by her husband. She started to ache in places that she'd never hurt before. She began to fight migraines on a weekly basis. Not only that, but her pleasant disposition that once defined who she was slowly disappeared. At times, she would say and do things that would shock even her. Finally, on a visit to the doctor's office, a malignant mass was discovered in her body and then treated by surgery and chemotherapy. Once she recovered, Dawn shared with her Christian friends the story of her entire idea, ordeal and the deep wounds by her husband and the forgiveness she made. She was very transparent, thankful, and surprisingly joyful. When she finished telling her story, she said, I believe I would have never gotten that sick if I had forgiven my husband 
and got rid of the unforgiveness in my heart years ago. If there is anybody that needs to forgive someone today, please do it. It is not worth the suffering that you will have to go through. And God is eagerly awaiting for us to make the choice to be freed from the physical, mental, or emotional suffering that torments us. Again, I'll repeat, not all suffering comes from forgiveness, but Jesus says often it is. And on your notes, you see two exceptions. Bruce Wilkinson, is in his excellent session one that the small groups will be kicking off with this week, identifies two biblical exceptions to this that I find important to include today. Exception one, the first is the window of grace. This is important for us to know as we walk through this. We want to think entirely biblical as people of God, right? Scripture testifies that God offers a window of grace, and that is when someone hurts you terribly, whether in an instant or over a long time, God does not demand that you forgive within 20 seconds or it's too late, bang! See, that's not the character of God, and that takes the reality of, of all the emotion and the process of it, the process of sanctification that he gives us. It takes time and work. And it's a, a process that leads us to great outcomes. So when a traumatic wound is inflicted on you of any kind, God gives you a season to cope with that, to discuss it with him, to get the right help around you, and then to forgive. He gives you time, but you know when you've taken too long. Be assured God is good and takes the steps given that we're going to go through this fall. This fall is going to be an amazing journey through all of the process and all of the steps to complete deliverance and freedom and forgiveness. We have a window of grace. The second exception is the season of childhood. Just to be biblically accurate, God postpones the torturers in a child's life because at the beginning they don't have comprehension until a period of time passes and they cross a barrier of maturity. Now, God knows what that is once the child is willingly rejecting Christ. Then God lovingly disciplines, convicts them of their sin, and, they, and then they must repent and believe and obey. But let's take the steps that we can take right now with all of this in mind. Here are three next steps that I'm going to urge you to take today, this very day. Number one, everyone focus on God's forgiveness of you. If you meditate on this, the glories of the gospel, the sinfulness of our sin, what Christ has done for you. And it's only when we see all of that in our own sinfulness, how God forgave us of everything, that we are motivated to forgive others. And friend, if you haven't trusted Jesus and received his forgiveness in the first place, you stand condemned in your sin, the sinfulness of your sin. And I encourage you to pray right here where you are. If the Holy Spirit is moving and drawing you in today, you can pray, Father God, I want your forgiveness and I've confessed I have sinned against you, rejected you, stolen the glory that's due only you. I can't earn your salvation. I get that. But Jesus paid the price for it for, it, for me. I receive him. I give you my life. Save me. Heal me. Make me yours today. And he will. And he will. And we'll rejoice. Everyone, number two, deal directly and honestly with your bitterness toward others. This is the day. This is the, the day that the Holy Spirit has us going through this process right now. Take advantage of it. Point A under that is I will forgive blank. Is there someone that you need to forgive? 
In fact, the, books, the book even helps guide you through making a list of this. You probably have a name or five. Write their name down. That means you mean business. If, they, if they're sitting right next to you, write a code or something like that. But if you don't, it will weigh you down. It will eat you up. It will lead to torment. And we don't need that anymore. Then B, I will ask forgiveness from blank, fill in the blank. Maybe you need to walk across the room today or pick up the phone and make a call today or buy an airplane ticket today. I have heard the stories where people hear such a message, get on a plane and go resolve and restore a relationship. Could that be you today? Do what it takes. Write that down. Again, this is the season. The Holy Spirit is prompting us to take care of this once and for all. And then third is to participate in every forgiveness sermon and small group session that you possibly can this fall, not to miss out on any of it, to the extent that you're a master of your calendar. I said this last week, and I want to repeat it today. If you can only make half of the sermons, half of the small group meetings, get into the small group and go to the half that you can make. It will be awesome. Don't choose, I can only make half, so I won't go to any. Mm -mm. Don't do that. You will not be sorry for the relationships that you build, for this incredible journey to freedom, to, to Bible knowledge, to health, to restoration that Bruce Wilkinson is going to lead us on and your loving leaders and group around you this fall. The choice is yours to make. Let's pray and worship. God, we pray to you. We worship you. We thank you with full gratitude and a humble realization that we are that first servant, a humble realization that we've been received full payment of an unpayable debt a humble realization that we turn around and act like that first servant all the time. I pray that you'll begin a work in us and begin that sanctification process in everybody that's here today where we overcome that, where we release that, have victory from that, have freedom from that. I know you'll do it. It's your will, and so we pray according to your will for everybody here today. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen.